Welcome to Blackbird episode number 31. My name is James, and today I am joined by none other than Buck Johnson of the Counterflow podcast. I wanted to talk to Buck about another podcast that I heard him on recently, where he was talking a lot about the left and the right and just kind of the way that individuals see the world, especially through a political lens. So I wanted to pick his brain on that, and I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. Also, we mentioned at the beginning Thad Russell's event coming up in Texas, which I really hope that you will attend. For more information on that, use my URL so that I get a little kickback from the sale. That's blackbirdpodcast.com slash RUTexas, and that's all lowercase letters. Once again, blackbirdpodcast.com slash RUTexas, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. And of course, after that personal plug, let me get to the sponsor for today's show, Paloma Verde CBD, which also happens to be the sponsor of the Thad Russell event down in Austin. Paloma Verde CBD, of course, was founded by Carlos and Vanessa Abelar. They are the purveyors of some fine CBD products, of which I am a proud user. I love their tincture. They also have delicious gummies, soft gels, muscle rub, and even dog treats. Check them out at palomaverdecbd.com and use offer code BLACKBIRD at checkout to get a pretty significant discount from your order. Once again, palomaverdecbd.com, offer code BLACKBIRD. And with that, here is my interview with Buck Johnson. All right, Buck Johnson, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, James, on the BLACKBIRD podcast. Yeah, man. So for the few people who are listening to this but haven't heard of you, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself so that people kind of know who we're talking to? Okay. Well, we got my name out of the way. And after that, I suppose I could say that I host the Counterflow podcast, which is now on the Renegade Media Network run by Thaddeus Russell. Uh, My podcast isn't run by him. But uh, he brought me aboard. It used to be called, my pod used to be called Death to Tyrants. So we had a little rebrand effort, and now it's, like I said, the Counterflow podcast. I live in Lockhart, Texas, which is a small town outside of Austin, about 30 minutes. I suppose that's relevant as well, since speaking of Thaddeus Russell, we are putting on the Renegade University Live Texas edition here at my house in Lockhart, Texas in October. So James and I both have links to that. Um, I'm sure he'll link to his link in the show notes page for this episode. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm giving him a hard time. It's going to be fun. So I, I recommend that everyone come out to that. Other than that, I'm a firefighter. I can't tell you which organization I do that for because my ideas are politically incorrect and I would be fired if <laughs> the organization knew I recognized them on a show like this. And I've done that for 23 years. I also play drums and I've tried to pull back and not do that as much because 2020 exposed the insanity of much of uh, this, my circle of musician friends in Austin. Yeah, man. And so uh, there's that. There's still a few sane ones that I'm close with. Other than that, 2020 was a good breakup year for me and insane people. And now I'm here. Dude, yeah, my my partner and I went down to Austin... I don't even remember when it was. I mean, everything was reopened in Dallas and Minneapolis where we live. And 
Austin was still shut down. It was like we yeah. were in California. It was nuts. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of the musicians were very were very vocal champions of the lockdowns of UBI and masks and you know the kind of thing like you sh- there should be no one playing any gigs. There's no excuse for it. Even if that's your only source of income, you can live off the government. I saw a lot of that kind of stuff. And then they then the few that were ballsy enough to step out, you know, within the last two months doing gigs. Uh, I would just like everyone to know the gig is outdoors. There's plenty of room for social distancing. You please feel free to wear a mask. That's the best, you know, and it's like, oh God. Musicians used to be like anti-authoritarian and rebellious. And it's uh, it's not that way anymore for about 95% of them. Yeah, one of my favorite bands is doing a backyard tour right now. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that they're touring again. I've seen them in concert and they're fantastic. But like, you know, we're gonna go get eaten up by mosquitoes. Uh, yeah, just to watch this band, and you know, it's a huge backyard. They only sold, you know, fifty tickets or whatever it is. So whatever, I'll get to go see some live music. I, I'm I'm not gonna talk too much shit about it. At least uh, at least I'm gonna get to do it. But uh, it would be nice. It, it's it will be nice to get back into venues from an audience member's perspective. How did yeah, you? I'm actually getting. I'm going in one tonight. Oh, I talk all that shit on the musicians right in my little town where the musicians are cool. Uh, there's a new honky tonk open. And so anyone who comes to the event in October, uh, we will take you there. And yeah, they're having a, a honky-tonk band. Uh, five minutes, you know, it's a, we're riding our bicycles down to it, my wife and I, so we can drink. No one will wear a mask. It's going to be great. Yeah, nice. Do, any idea if that honky-tonk has karaoke? This is germane to the October event. I want to organize a karaoke night. They're, I don't believe they do because it's just, it's, it's like a 60s, style place so there's a jukebox and then there's like 60s honky-tonk music on the weekends and uh there there's i'm not a karaoke person myself but i i'm pretty sure there's a karaoke spot here in town and for all the austin and caps listening to this that there's a group of like 50 of us dude there's so many i was so surprised yeah they have a karaoke night every friday oh really nice yeah all right, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll reach out to them then. Uh, I know like Landry Harmon's been on the show, and then uh, yes, you know, I, there's just so many down there. I was really surprised. We don't have that many in the Twin Cities, or at least they're you know not out of the woodwork yet. We're trying to dig them out though. I'm I'm in the Freedom Cells and the Mises Caucus, so we'll we'll get as many as we can. Um, yeah. How did you get linked up with Thad Russell? You guys seem kind of divergent personality wise. That's funny. I've heard a few people say that. I'd like to ask why you think that, but first I'll answer this question. Um, and I'm not saying we're not, but it's an interesting thing to notice. So I just reached out one day to him. I, f- I friended him quite a while ago on Facebook. And I remember being surprised when he accepted. I was like, oh, well, that's kind of cool. And, you know, because I, I had been a fan of his work and his book, uh, certainly. And s- at some point, I can't remember why I initially had him on the first time. It was back when it was on Death to Tyrants. I can't remember what we talked about, to be quite honest. but. He was super open and super friendly afterwards. And he said, he wrote me a couple of times after that saying, my girlfriend said that that's the best interview uh, anyone's ever done with me. And then he was writing back again. I listened to it again and I, I never said those things in an interview before. And so we would write a little bit and then I had him on again, it's, I guess shortly thereafter. And he did it. He said the same thing again. He's like, my girlfriend again said, no one interviews me like you do. You have such a way. And he was very complimentary, basically. I don't want to go on and on about my 
himself, but he was saying nice things. And then it kind of, he said, one day, can I call you? I want to talk about some things. And then that's when the Renegade Media Network idea sparked. And so initially he said, I want you to do a separate podcast um, so you can do Death to Tyrants on your own because that one kind of pigeonholes you with that name and everything and that branding that you have with it. And I, you know, James, I don't know if you agree with this, James, but doing just one a week is a lot of work for me. And I was like, well, I can't do two and I can't do two separate podcasts. Let's just do one. I had already been thinking about changing the name anyway, because it did pigeonhole me. And it actually, I know for a fact, a couple of guests that are fairly big names in our circles turned me down because of the name. And I I, start, I was already thinking, and you know, there's this kind of movement amongst some of us, some people call it post-libertarian, but a little bit, I don't like to be pigeonholed with that title, libertarian. And I certainly didn't want to be losing out on guest opportunities. So I had already been thinking about it. And then when Thad brought this up, I was like, this is perfect. And it was towards the end of the year. And I was like, perfect. January 1st, we'll launch the rebrand. And so now we've become you know, friends. We talk on a fairly regular basis. And although last month in Oregon, or yeah, shit, this month, a few weeks ago when we spoke, was the first time I saw him in person. And it was like I had known him for a long time already. It's pretty cool. Yeah. That's pretty badass. We, uh, I think we underwent our branding change around the same time that I was originally urban agorist. Yep. And that, like you're saying, kind of pigeonholes you, yep. especially the agorist brand. Holy shit. There's like two agorists. There's like Vin Armani, Sal Mayweather, yeah. and then like everyone else who yep. is just trolling on Twitter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so what does counterflow mean? Like what, why did you go with that name? Because it sounds cheesy, but almost every aspect of my life for a long time has flowed counter to most other people. For instance, I, I grew up playing punk rock music, ska music, and then rockabilly music, which are all about 3% of the music world. Most people don't have a very good understanding of any of those types. You know, punk rock maybe so, but so everything, I always felt a bit like a black sheep, although I was friendly with many groups in, in high school even. My own personal clique was very small. It was not, I was kind of against the grain generally. Um, and then, of course, my politics are extremely against the grain because, as you know, uh, anyone in our circles, we're an extreme minority compared to everyone else. And certainly in musician circles, that's for sure. And then I'm a firefighter, like I said. And I started thinking that's funny because even in my job, while everyone comes running out, I'm like one of the few people going in to the burning building opposite again uh, against the flow that everyone else is doing. And so it just kind of made sense to me. I like that. That's pretty cool. Rockabilly. That's, <laughs> I, I know two things about rockabilly. The, the first thing is in my computer class in like fourth grade, there was some kind of reading unit on rockabilly as a genre. And then in a little bit later in my life, I was part of like the BMG CD club um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I got a, I got a CD from a band called the Stray Cats, which I'm yep. sure you've heard of, but nobody else has. Yes. Uh, and those are the two things about rockabilly that I know. The reason that I asked you to come on the show today was because I was listening to Pete Quinones' show where you had sat on a panel for a Mises Institute event and we're talking about 
the left and the right and why libertarians specifically need to kind of consciously identify as on the right. And you got some pushback. Yeah. Is that is that an accurate kind of description of the overview, I guess? Yeah, it is. And I would change, if, if I could go back, I would change a few things because I think it's not necessary for libertarians to identify on the right. I think it's helpful for libertarians generally to identify as left or right because I think I think most people are one of those things. And and I don't know if that makes people feel too confined or something, but I think if you asked a few questions, you you kind of figure someone's leaning out. Um, I was at a Mises function, so I went right because um, von Mises was a man of the right, Murray Rothbard, Lou Rockwell, Jeff Deist. Most people surrounding that organization are of the right. And so I was speaking to that audience um, kind of generally, but certainly if I went to an, a, a sanctioned LP event, I would suggest that I would, you know, a lot of them would probably consider themselves of the left or maybe not consider it, but I think they probably would be even if they didn't realize it. So I guess, would you say that like the little chart that like every state LP has on their website where like they've got the left positions and the right positions and then like show how the libertarian positions overlap the two uh, is unhelpful for? Yes, extremely like, unhelpful. Defining the ideology, I guess. Um, how yes, you- I think it's unhelpful. And I think that quiz, the world's smallest political quiz, yeah. I believe is what you're, it's very slanted. And so it does this thing I hate that, libertarian party types do and that's try to fool a regular person into going oh i guess i am libertarian i didn't know that and the problem with that is once they dig if they choose to a layer or two deeper into the philosophy a lot of people are going to go okay i'm not this so why fool them why not just be upfront on exactly what we are for and against and and if the people come to us then you know you've got people that are like-minded i the whole fooling people is like, we're socially uh, liberal and economically conservative. See, we're the best of both parties. It's just weak. Yeah, that to me screams centrism, which I hate more than almost anything. Yeah. How, how yeah. do you, so Michael Malice says you can find out whether someone's left or right by asking one question. Are there, are some people better than others? Yep. Right people will, right wing people will tell you, yes, Left-wing people will give you a speech. And I'm firmly on the, I will give you a speech to that question. Mm -hmm. So I guess, first of all, how do you answer that question? And is that an accurate descriptor of right and left, or at least like a shorthand? I certainly think it's a pithy, uh, helpful. Michael Malice has a wonderful way of presenting so many ideas in a very digestible form to make you go, ah, why didn't I think of that? But yeah, I, I like that one. And I actually kind of used one similar to that at the Mises Institute function. And yeah, I mean, I could answer it. That it are some people better than others? Yes, I can say it in one word. Uh, now, if you want to get into the speech part, you go at what or what 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 uh, influences that on, you know, is it society? Is it is it culture? Is it IQ? All of this, you know, the Molyneux stuff. You, I could give a speech on it, but I could very also easily go, yes. And that's one easy way to do it. I often say the right believes in natural hierarchies and that it's not a bad thing. The left 
pretends to believe in egalitarianism, and there's probably a certain segment of the left that truly does believe in that. There, I think once you do just a touch of thinking that, that you would realize that's not a good thing or that it's probably impossible. But there's also a ruling section of the left that will pretend to be for egalitarianism, and they're strictly about power. Yeah, that's a that's definitely like I think it's Curtis Yarvin says that the right yeah. sees power as a means to an end, where the left sees power as a uh, an end to itself. Um, yes. Yeah, dig into that a little bit. What and and I guess more importantly, in our circles, do you think that the people who are of the left also see power as like an end to itself? Ooh, that is a good question. Let me. I have to think about that for a second. I. I get a lot of this theory that I that I subscribe to from Curtis Yarvin, so that's why that probably sounds familiar. Um, it's interesting because I immediately think of someone, and I don't even like to bring up his name because I I think he's completely useless, pointless, and a loser. But someone like uh, the old chair, Nick Sarwar. Nick Sarwar. I yeah. think of someone. I knew that's who you were going to say yeah, before you even said it. <laughs> just the description. I think of him when you say. Are there some in our circles that do subscribe to the left-wing view strictly for power? He's my first person to come that comes to mind. Ironically, he's completely irrelevant and has never had any power of any sort that has any relevancy in any way. Maybe that was his thought that he would like to, you know, they they say the Libertarian Party is this old social club. And I I completely agree. I've witnessed this for since 2000, when I started going to meetings, it's this old social club where these low status individuals uh, want to keep their position. And so they don't even talk about politics, really. They, there's this procedural things they talk about and Robert's rules of order and um, how many people should be able to vote on this one thing we're going to discuss and who's going to be at the next meeting. You leave there going, is anyone an actual libertarian here? We didn't say anything about philosophy or principles or whatever. So I assume there's people in our circles that are of the, of, I, I honestly question anyone that considers himself a leftist. I don't question you, James. You seem like a good guy. Um, you said you would give a longer answer. I also don't consider myself a leftist. So, okay. Okay. Fine. Um, but if someone straight out said I'm a left libertarian, I, the red flags would immediately go up for, for me personally. Because one, you're pro-egalitarian, which is stupid, or you're, you're trying some power grab to, to gain yourself more power at the expense of others, which is evil. So that's what I would boil that down to. What about um, like the productive left? Obviously, there is something to be said for the, the kind of chaotic creativity that that is part and parcel with sort of the personality type that leans left. I know Jordan Peterson and Jonathan Haidt have both kind of talked a lot about that. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And that's part of my inner battle because I am a musician, uh, someone who grew up listening to punk rock uh, while some of the bands certainly lean to the right that I, that I listen to, but just the spirit of that. And I grew up as the, with the Velvet Underground as one of my favorite all-time bands, along with The Doors when I was even younger. So there's certainly a creative spirit. I, I, I think certain uh, psilocybin products are probably helpful to people. Um, 
So there are elements of my personality, I think, that appreciate things that are typically considered of the left. So yeah, there's a bit of an inner turmoil with that. Um, And I don't really know how to answer it other than there's something different to me about creating art and then the actual political leanings of a left-wing person. For instance, I, I you get disapp- or I get disappointed when I find out someone that I've you know have deep respect for is some kind of raving lunatic on the left, and and it's I'm kind of used to screening people now that I mm. tend to be a fan of, so it doesn't happen much anymore. But it did, and I I'm certain Lou Reed from the Velvet Underground was probably a left leaning individual, although I think it's very nice that I don't know that, and so a lot of the people I grew up kind of being influenced by musically, I I still don't know their political leanings. So that helps a lot. And then sometimes when I do, it's it's a hard pill to swallow. And that's when I have to go, well, I still like at least the art that they put out, regardless of what they might represent as a person. Does the um the subversiveness of the kind of punk movement of you know 20 or so years ago does it feel like that still exists on the left anywhere or has it gone completely to like, I mean, it feels right now like the right is the subversive side of the political bird or whatever spectrum. So to divide it up, to, to boil these buzzwords down even further, I I do have friends that I, that are like legitimate far left. Uh, Like a girlfriend of mine has a hammer and sickle tattoo on her ribs and her and I get along great. And we, she hates war. She doesn't like the Federal Reserve. She thinks there's a global elite. She's much more down the conspiracy rabbit hole than I am. But <laughs> yeah. she, there's a global elite ruling, trying to a ruling class, which is essentially a populist message, which I totally agree with. You know, we differ on some economic things naturally, but she's a good person. She's an entrepreneur. She owns her own business, which is funny when I think that some of her economic ideas are there, but. Um, so the, there, there is that she's certainly like some of those people fall into the anti-authoritarian or, uh, a fuck the system kind of mentality, but basically from Bernie Sanders to, let's say, I don't know, George Bush, whatever that segment is of the, of the political spectrum. That's not a very far, far separation as, as some people might think, but yeah, that's gone. And in punk rock, modern punk rock, I saw multiple people that I know in punk rock bands putting up pictures of themselves in masks over the last year saying it's punk rock to wear a mask. And it was like, golly, these guys, it's gone. That spirit, I mean, they're now the establishment. They've that's that side, this corporate left side of the political spectrum. Hillary Clinton people, Kamala Harris, that that kind of thing. They've won everything. And so it's like these punk rockers are just like, well, now we're happy. And it's like there are, there is no anti-establishment spirit in them anymore. Ironically enough, now that's on the right wing. And and I saw Johnny Lydon, there was this picture of him, this meme, I guess a quote that he said, Johnny Lydon of the Sex Pistols, and it basically said, I never thought I'd be in a place in time where the left wing is the establishment and the right wing are the anti-authoritarians. And 
it's like, well, yeah. And, and I remember Johnny Rotten saying that we're discussing wore a MAGA hat last year in a photo. And I saw so many punk rock people that I know so upset. And it's like, guys, Sid Vicious, the bass player of the Sex Pistols, wore a swastika t-shirt in the late 70s. They're doing this stuff to offend people. And now you idiots are being offended by them and you're calling yourselves punk like they are and they didn't even see the irony in this. Absolutely. It's crazy, but yeah. Yeah, big time. And and my brother's in the movie industry in Hollywood. And I mean, they are ate up with everything, the party line, the establishment, Kamala Harris, all of this just non-creative, non-subversive, just Disney-fied version of entertainment. And the left loves it. They eat it up. There's no more, there's not much originality that just F the system spirit. It's it's not in the left anymore for the most part. I think a big part of it too, though, is that Trump was in charge for a lot of this. And so like I I have a lot of like gender non-binary and trans friends and stuff like that. And I think they saw themselves as Here's a here's kind of a, a weird for instance. I have a friend who we went to parties at his house all throughout the pandemic. Like he was having parties. He would come over here and have dinner, just whatever. And but one day, and there were no masks, obviously. But one day he posted a picture of himself on a bike trail. It was just it was it was a really nice, you know, trees and stuff in the background. Mm-hmm. He wasn't wearing his mask in the photo. And he posted it on Facebook and said something like, oh, yeah, the weather's beautiful today or just whatever on the caption. And then down in the comments, he put, oh, I know I'm not wearing a mask in this picture. I only took it off for the photo and I put it up, put it back on immediately after I took it. Uh, make sure you wear your masks, everybody. And to me, like this is the kind of person who is like considers himself subversive. You know, he he. Yeah. He marches with Black Lives Matter, and you know, was completely in the in the burn down the the cops and the and the businesses and all that stuff. And I, I guess because the sort of figurehead of the person that, of the the team that he was opposing was Donald Trump, who was anti-mask or supposedly, then wearing a mask was an act of subversion as as far as he was concerned. It's crazy that he would succumb to that. Clearly, he felt peer pressure to put that caption at the bottom of the picture. Yeah. Did you? Is this person part of the trans community? Yeah. Yep. See, how, how would a person in that extreme minority of a community who doesn't feel pressure to at least express themselves who they feel that they are inside, why would you feel pressured on an Instagram post or whatever it was to put something so silly that's not real? I wish those were the kind of people that are like, I'm who I am and I don't give a shit. Uh, Attack me all you want and I'm going to express myself. If you don't like it, fuck you. That's kind of the spirit I appreciate about that community. And it's funny to see it go away over a freaking mask. Dude, let me, I have a, I have a gay, I was at an event, like a big event with lots of people in Florida last year before everybody else was reopened and we weren't wearing masks and you know, it was hundreds of people. And I posted a I posted a picture of it somewhere, Snapchat or something, and someone asked me where are their masks, and I said, oh yeah, some people were wearing them, some people weren't. Um, you know, not a big deal. We were mostly social distance, but you know, we were just having fun. And this person came back with, all of those people deserve to die. Now that would be a typical like authoritarian leftist thing to say, 
But to top it off, this person is HIV positive from having unprotected sex. Oh gosh! Like, <laughs> like he was he was delivering like the Jerry Falwell 1987 yes. deserve to die right. line about yep. these people. Yes, how would he feel if a right wing preacher in the 80s said that about every homosexual that had unprotected sex that got HIV? He's doing the same thing, and he's part of literally that community. It's crazy. That's what I've used the same analogy. I grew up kind of this subversive attitude too. I just always kind of have. And, and I didn't like the right because I felt like the religious right was trying to censor people's natural instincts and, and do things that I didn't like. And it felt confining and the tides flipped exactly. And now the modern progressive left, center left are basically the right-wing Christians of the eighties. And what a perfect example you just gave. He's literally saying something that right-wing Christians said in the eighties. Yeah. It's it, so anyway, it's nuts. I'm um, now we're getting now that the mass mandates are lifted, we're getting the uh, oh, you know, just try being kind to people. Some people aren't going to be comfortable pulling their masks off just yet, and you know, a lot of them are dealing with mental health issues. And so, yeah. you know, we have to try a little kindness, try a little kindness. That's the new wear the damn mm-hmm. mask is try a little kindness. Uh-huh. And you know, I mean, sure, I'm not a, I'm not a dick, like, I'm not going to go yelling at people for wearing their masks when the mandates are lifted, but uh, of course not, you know, I mean. Next time you're like in the throes of a mass hysteria, remember the try a little kindness line because, mm-hmm. I mean, we were being assaulted, like milkshakes being thrown and stuff. So you, in the in the episode with Pete that uh, inspired this interview, you also said that where there is a void, like an ideological void, the left tends to fill the void. Yes. Is that, I guess that's, but there's like somebody's law. It's uh, like any any organization that's not. Yeah. Um, yes. Strictly right wing becomes left wing. Yeah, that's it. What yeah. a where why why do you think that is? First of all, well, the progressivism is an authoritarian totalitarian uh, movement or belief system, meaning that they don't stop until they can control everything and everybody. Uh, and for instance, the right basically now you. I'll, everyone listening to this has probably seen this, are basically going, I just want to be left alone. I want to raise my family. And I don't care what you guys do. Please don't affect us over here, which is kind of a libertarian mindset. If you notice, the left isn't like that. Uh, like you just pointed out, you're not going to go yell at someone because they have a mask on. However, they will yell at you because you don't. That's because they're not controlling you. You're subverting their control by not wearing one. So anytime there's an opening, they're going to take it just as water filling a space because the purpose and idea of what their belief system represents, I've had a drink of whiskey, uh, necessitates, (laughs) yes, that they have control because that's just how it is. And so when there's a lack of strong foundation identity and in a structured system, as soon as you start taking those uh, walls down, they'll fill it. And so that was my, that's part of my issue with libertarians. And there's some that I truly respect that say this, saying we're neither left nor right. And it's like, okay, well, you're going to be left when you say that. Maybe not you, but your organization will be because that's just the nature of the left. 
They take over everything that doesn't put up a fight, basically. And so seeding the ground that, well, I'm not, I'm not of the right gives them all the room they need to move in. And I, I think that's clearly what's happened to the Libertarian Party since Murray Rothbard left it, essentially. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's basically my summation of that. Is That's why I said that. And I still wish some of the bigger names would understand that and quit shying away because we're so surrounded by progressivism. This country has been steeped in it for a hundred years, if not more. And it's almost like the fish in the water where one fish says the water's warm and the other guy goes, what's water? It's kind of, we're so surrounded by it that you don't even realize it. And when you hear some of these bigger names saying we're not left nor right, it's like, you're right wing. I know I've heard what you said. I've heard your beliefs. Don't shy away from it. It's so taboo to say the word right wing or say I'm right wing. We're so steeped in leftism that it's now taboo. And so people shy away. Well, I want to be a public figure. I want to get more downloads or I want to get, I don't want to get canceled. So if I say I'm right, well, there goes that. There goes my career. I better at least uh, throw out some lefty things here and there to, to make sure that they think I'm hip and with the program. Otherwise, I'm, I'm nothing. So that drives me nuts. Your definition of right is a belief in natural hierarchies, which I, would, yes. you, would you distinguish? And accepting them. And accepting them as not just inevitable, but good? Is that? Yes. Cool. Yep. Um, what about artificial hierarchies? It depends on the organization. Um, my organization in the fire department has, I guess you could call them artificial because they're certainly not natural or just naturally occurring. They're based on rules and policies and tests and they're generally accepted naturally, but it's, you couldn't, a fire department without hierarchy would be a disaster. Uh, if you just said this fire department's going to be completely egalitarian uh, a lot of people would die. And so in certain uh, sets, I, I think that unnatural hierarchies or artificial hierarchies are also a good thing. I'm sure we could easily come up with an example of where it wouldn't be so good. But, you know, the uh, there there's kind of just, it's like Pareto principle is for an example. And there's so many like laws of physics almost within society that with any group setting, you're always going to have a few people rise to the top when you give it long enough. And so I think it's just, it almost occurs naturally. Now, if we had a group of friends and, and you just go, hey, I'm James, uh, I'm in charge. Certainly that's a little odd, but I think given a, the right amount of time with the same amount of people, it's going to occur naturally. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That uh, certain people's temperaments just lend themselves toward positions of leadership, and you know, it could be the the second time you meet. Yep. You know, not saying this about myself, but you know, there are some people who, you know, when they when they come into the room, you just know this is a person who I am going to lean on for yep. for advice and leadership, and um, and th that's okay. Yeah. I think one thing that libertarians, especially right libertarians, which is kind of um, I guess it's a little bit ironic given the given the affinity for hierarchy. Libertarians often will say people who need leaders 
shouldn't be able to pick them or something like that. It's like a, it's like an anti-democracy slogan. Yes. But on the, I mean, most people need leaders. Most people need to feel led because it's scary to kind of just be out there in the wilderness by yourself. Yes. Yeah. If you were, if you were stranded in the middle of the woods and it was you and two other people, a lot of us would hope, I hope one of these guys has better outdoor skills than I do. You wouldn't just go, well, I'm not going to be led. I'm my own person. You know, so it's the division of labor, which is naturally a, a libertarian mindset. It's, you know, from, from Austrian economics, certainly some people, if there's a room of six of us, and depending on what the circumstances, you might go, well, Thaddeus is better at this. Let him be in charge. Or, all right, James, you do it. You're, you're better at, you figure out who's better at what. And for the situation, and I think most of the time, hierarchies naturally occur because that's how we live life. And to just say, we're all the same, let's just make our own decisions is, is a fruitless endeavor. In fact, it usually leads to more harm than good. Where do you think the sort of political camps are going to be in about 10 years? Ooh, that is a good question. Well, I hope that my state's not in the union anymore in 10 years. Yeah. Uh, that would be my first hope. So for you guys up in the United States, minus Texas, whew, that is a good question because it would have been easier to answer this question 10 years ago because since 2016, it seems, and certainly in 2020, time has moved so fast. Like it went to hyper overdrive. The left works in uh, increments. They, they push incrementally forward with their agenda and they have, they've got, ironically, a subset of people that has very, very high time preference. As a movement, they work with low time preference. And that's been a wonderful effort on their part because they've won everything. But man, now things are moving in leaps and bounds. And so I, I tend to think that both major parties are going to fracture. I see a fracture coming in the Democratic Party because there's young people rising up like AOC, obviously, is kind of the figurehead of this, this new mm-hmm. uh, subsect of that party. But an actual real left within there. Now they might learn the ropes and figure out that we're just progressive era progressives that are trying to make corporate deals with big companies and so on, and maybe ditch her kind of like Bernie Sanders has done ditch her actual socialist roots maybe. And the Pelosi's and Biden's like, it feels like that older sect of that party are kind of being pushed away now, on the Republican side, it seems like the Republicans that I grew up hating are all being pushed out also. And I, I think they should just join the, join the Democratic Party. You know, uh, Liz Cheney and people like that, she was just voted out of her leadership position. I think people like Tom Cotton, Nikki Haley, those people should be in the Democratic Party because the Republican Party is clearly being taken over by MAGA types and Matt Gates, Ron DeSantis. I still think Tucker Carlson's going to run for president, although I don't, I have nothing to back that up with other than a feeling. Uh, uh, Josh Hawley in Minnesota, excuse me, in Missouri. That's kind of the future of the Republican Party in my mind, the kind of Bannonite wing of it, the Trumpian wing, 
which I'm much friendlier to than the neocon Liz Cheney, George Bush, Nikki Haley segment of the Republican Party. So I could see those being the major splits. I don't know. Notice I didn't say the Libertarian Party. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think even if it gets spearheaded and taken over by the people that you and I actually like in the Libertarian Party, I mean, the, st- the structure as it is, uh, I hope the Libertarian Party is huge in 10 years, but I don't suspect it will be, nor the Green Party. I think we'll be dealing with some mixing of the two major parties. It's interesting. I could see some I could see some Democrats changing parties to the Republican Party and, and the neocon wing of the Republican going to the Democrat side. I know I said a lot of mumbo jumbo in there, but the, I'm just hashing this out as I speak of it because I've not thought of this at all. Um, and then I hope that Texas is apart from the rest of the country. And I suppose if that happens, I could see another state or two doing the same. I think what happens in 2024 will be huge in regards to secession movements. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's my thoughts on that for the moment. Uh, I can't imagine a giant libertarian party in 10 years, but who knows? I've been around it for 20 years and it's exactly the same as it's been since 1971 or whenever it started, but it's certainly the same as it's been since 2000 when I got into it. Yeah, you're not lying about the Robert's rules being the the main. I mean, you know, you go to a, a either state or national convention for the Libertarian Party, and the first entire day or half day is spent going over the credentials report and shit like that. That's just like grueling. It's awful. Grueling. Um, so where I mean, where are I, I guess throughout the 20th century, at least in the po- the post World War II 20th century, the GOP was sort of a three legged stool of the neoliberal, libertarian-ish free marketeers, the social conservatives, and the neocon warhawks. The old fugitivism. Yeah. So if the if the warhawks are now, I mean, all all of the Zionists, for instance, and that's to say the people who favor the state of Israel mm. over every over everybody else. This is has nothing to do with with Jewish people. I know that yes. uh, anyway, they have sort of Recentered on the Democratic Party. Yes. So the neocons are probably going to become Democrats, if anything else. I mean, Max Boot has already done so. Uh, yeah. Liz Cheney probably well. will. You know. Yes. They came from the left. Why not go back? Social conservatives are basically non-existent anymore. Like you were saying, the right now is just I want to do what I want to do, and you go do what you want to do, and let's not bother each other. I think in that there is a lot of social conservatism. I think the social conservatism of the 80s, where it's in your face and and trying to change everyone around them, I think that's that part of it's gone. I think that the the social conservative spirit itself is going to be bigger in the next five years than it's felt in since the 80s. Can you can you dig into that a little bit more? Why do you think that? Sure, because a lot of people and close friends of mine are this thing's hitting them. And part of it's the message that Vin Armani's putting out there. There's no doubt about it. But even in libertarian circles, who we were known for being libertine and atheists and all of this stuff, there's a lot more, I'm moving out of the city. I'm moving to a small town. I just want to raise my family. And now I'm seeing uh, some former atheists drop that title and start to at least 
head towards spirituality. Who knows what the next step is? I'm not even saying they're going to end up Pentecostals or Southern Baptists or something like that. But that naturally is socially conservative. And I remember having this discussion with one of my best friends who I've played in bands with for 20 years. And, and I, I said, I'm so tired of hearing socially conservative, excuse me, economically conservative, socially liberal, because a lot of libertarians are socially conservative. And he goes, no, why do you think that? I'm not. And I go, no, you totally are. You live on a ranch in a small town. You barely drink. You do sometimes a glass of wine a night. You're with your wife. You both have jobs and you don't party. You're not some kind of, you don't do, he stays away from any type of substance other than some alcohol. And he goes, well, yeah, but, but I'm for every, you can do that or anyone can do it. And I go, yeah, no, I understand that you don't want someone to go to jail for it, but you personally are socially conservative. And it hit him like, yeah, I guess I am. So I think that moving out of the cities, focusing on yourself, your job, your spiritual journey, your family, whoever that may entail, I think, I think that is socially conservative. And I think that is becoming uh, a growing movement within our circles. Um, what you just described is the transition from postmodernism to integral or just post-postmodernism. Postmodernism and modernism to an extent were marked a lot by ideology, whereas now that's moved inward to lifestyle. Um, it's a lot what Ven Armani's been talking about too, really. Now, yes. I'm the, now I'm just talking off the top of my head, so don't quote me. But um, when I asked you the question social cons- about, about cons- social conservatism, I meant ideologically socially conservative. Impositionally, I'm going to force you to not watch porn and not smoke weed mm-hmm. and not drink more than one glass of wine a night. But you turn that around to mm-hmm. mean the person's lifestyle. Yes. I don't, that's how I think of it because it's left. It's a leftist instinct to say, no, here's me. And you have to be like me. Huh? I wonder what Thad would think of that. I bet you. I wonder that. Yeah. I would Um, love to have a discussion with him (laughs) and, and go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So, and you're right. The, the spirituality thing, I, I have been really toying with that and the definition of magic this is more Vin Armani. Every podcast episode I do, he comes up. I hate that because, <laughs> because, because he can't be like the only influence on people. But right now he's super influential in our circles. Yes. Um, manifesting reality just through words and just through you know, memes and things like that uh, is kind of a, a new or resurgent really thing that most of us in the libertarian sphere haven't experienced before. We're we're really stuck in the modern way of seeing things. The very materialist, very uh, you know, cause and effect kind of worldview. Whereas the world is moving into a more esoteric and not quite so concrete reality. I, I don't. How, yeah, how do we how true. do we contend with that? Well. You have to offer people something other than the, the, I believe in thin libertarianism, don't get me wrong, because the philosophy itself literally is the non-aggression principle in property rights. And so that's extremely thin. My thought is to claim that that is you and that is it 
is a big mistake, which led me to my speech about quit saying I'm not left wing and I'm not right wing because you can't strictly be a non-aggression principle voluntarist and, and that's it. There, everyone has uh, things they think are taboo, belief systems, thoughts on family. Some people like nuclear families, some people don't. Thoughts on certain behaviors in society, thoughts on hierarchies, thoughts on egalitarianism. Libertarianism itself, the legal strict philosophy, or some people call it moral philosophy, it doesn't offer anything on that except don't aggress against a peaceful individual. So to just walk around and present that is the end-all be-all, you're going to get left far behind because everyone else, well, for most of the center-left believes in voodoo at this point with, with the double masking and, and all of this scientism kind of stuff that they're getting at, which is essentially, it's mysticism in its own right. It's just a very, very, very thin, thin version of it. Um, and so you have to offer people, if, if we want libertarianism to, to grow and expand and be relevant more than it is now, certainly, more than just the non-aggression principle, there has to be culture. Culture wars are driving everything right now. You have to take a side in the culture war. You can't just step back and go, we're not a part of that. Everyone's a part of that. And so that, that's my thought is that something more than the NAP has to be offered to people. I spoke with Mark Clare, which this episode uh, that I have him on will come out in a few days. And, and we likened it to both the, him and I are wrestling fans. And so no wrestler ever gets on the microphone and explains the logic of the match he's about to have and why he's going to do these five moves and watch how effective that will be. This guy won't get out of this move because it's scientifically proven that this move works. No one does that because it doesn't catch anyone's emotions. What they do is, is tell some story that the crowd relates to on a gut level. And so it takes two minutes from someone good at it or less, and you can have 20,000 people chanting your name. You have to hit people in the gut where it's some raw emotion and libertarians for too long have ran from the emotion because a lot of us are pretty emotionally immature and not developed well. That's where this autism label comes in. And it's so scientific and so you know, it's just follow the logic, follow the reason and leave any emotion out of it. That, that, that does not attract most people, which is why our movement gets about 1% of the vote. And so that's my thoughts on that. That remind, I mean, just last weekend, I was at, I was at the LP uh, Pennsylvania thing for the, but I, I went there for the Mises Caucus bash and mm-hmm. there's a palpable difference. I mean, while mm-hmm. the LP was, you know, at their hotel arguing Robert's rules or whatever it was, we were at another hotel just getting fucking fired up with Dave Smith and Scott Horton and Jeff Deist and music and just like all this just excitement. Like you could feel the energy. And it was, an ins- I mean, that's entirely emotional. I don't even remember what those guys talked about. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think that a lot of us are on the right track and that really threatens the people who are still stuck in Robert's rules and mm-hmm. the just materialist 
worldview, or I guess it's not even a yes. worldview; it's just an inclination. Uh, but then, on the other on the other hand, um, there are there are plenty of autists in the Mises Caucus. You know, you've got the we've got people you know planning how do we make our message great? How do we how do we like attract people to this? Um, and we're like I said, we're on the right track. But uh, you know, then you've got mm-hmm. someone, and it, as often as not, it's me writing a paragraph about how uh, you know. <laughs> this this thing is the exact same thing as as slavery or just whatever like it's hmm. it's tough to it's tough to it's tough to break out of that kind of cement box and i'm not i'm not autistic but man if you see me on facebook i'm easy to confuse for someone who is well because i think even if we're not i'm not either but we if being libertarian typically lends itself to following reason and logic that that's literally what austrian economics is is the is the logic of human action and deductive reasoning and such Mm. but so a lot of us are drawn to that and that's why we're please let me be logical and and consistent it's the consistency that i'm you know no one else cares about that but we're sitting there thinking all right here's my position am i going to be inconsistent on this Okay, I, I think it's pretty solid. I think this is a bullet. You know, no other people think of this these things. Whatever this is, it pulls us to it. And I can't really explain it either, other than it's it's guttural for me because when I first read Harry Brown and he's explaining the great libertarian offer, as it were, in 2000, I'm sitting there going, Well, damn, I never thought of it like this. Of course, foreign invasion of countries is big government. Why would I want big government over there and not here? How inconsistent would that be? But for whatever reason, that attracts like 5% of the people to, to think that's an attractive thought process. And man, it sure is fun for me anyway. Like <laughs> that's, that's why, that's why I stay in these circles. I mean, in a, in a lot of senses, it's why I haven't gone to the D's or the R's, um, which I, I think I could probably fit in pretty well in any, in either of those political parties uh, or movements or whatever, probably, I probably wouldn't fit in too well with the Molotov cocktail throwers, but you know, I go to their parties. But yeah. Yeah. You know, you really like Antifa types. Uh, maybe not Antifa types, but the, the ones who are there the next day cleaning up and pouring milk in people's eyes and stuff for sure. Yeah. Like the faux medics or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I've got okay. lots of friends who wow. are doing that. Yeah. Really? Let me ask you this. I've always had my doubts, but who am I to say? Are some of them actually real medics? No, God. Uh, one of well, no. Okay. The one medic, the one medic I know who was helping out at those things was not at the actual riots. Uh, he was there cleaning up the next day and offering first aid at the the peaceful protests. Um, and he's not ideologically okay that way. Like he, you know, he favors universal health care or whatever. Um, but he's not. He's not super woke, so to speak. Good, good. Yeah. All right. And you know, I mean, he he's a he's a he's a medic at kids' sports games and stuff like that, in addition to his okay. normal day job. So, um, all right. So at the beginning, you said that you would have probably given a different speech if it hadn't been at the Mises Institute. Um, yes. So what value? I think I think I've asked. I've asked this a little bit and we didn't really dig too deep into it. What value do you think a left libertarianism brings to the table? And I guess, can the party, can the party itself or the movement um, harbor both left and right libertarians within itself? 
If you're the right kind of leftist, yes. If you're a Tulsi Gabbard, probably I would I would be inclined to say yes because we're in a spot now where to be of the left, at least in my personal experience, most of the time you're insane. Tulsi Gabbard is not. We see her and we all celebrate this. Jimmy Dore, we see him and we celebrate this. Glenn Greenwald, we can name maybe 10 of these people that are big public figures. And we are so excited when they pop up because I can't believe they exist. Because most of the white noise coming from the left is just such garbage and insanity that I just write it all off. The speech I gave in Oregon basically was trying to explain that there's a giant segment on the left-hand side of the aisle, the Kamala Harris wing, quit trying to relate with them, quit trying to message to them. They've won everything. They could not care less about libertarianism. And they're not going to be won over by, like we just discussed, our logic and consistency and data regarding COVID or anything else. So write them off. So for the most part, most of the left would have no value in my mind as far as anything to do in our movement. But I could see if if there are some left libertarians that that are that are kind of anti-war, but I, I don't honestly know what their belief would be outside of that. But I suspect the value could be in bringing in some good leftists like Tulsi Gabbard types, uh, Jimmy Dore, like we said, Michael Tracy, these types, maybe pulling them in, maybe pulling in some Green Party types uh, could be of some value. In fact, some of the guys I met up in Oregon, some Mises caucus guys that were super cool up there, uh, they they brought in one or two people that had like ran for office on the Green Party ticket in Oregon, and they are now coming to Oregon Libertarian Party meetings because of the Mises Caucus people. So there is some value there because if you make anti-war your top issue, I think uh, there's some people certainly that can relate with you that may be sketchy economically. And a lot of the times those people don't know much about economics. It's, It's not like they've studied a lot. It's just that something feels right. And if they want to go look, there's a powerful corporate business government elite running the show. I agree with them. So maybe we can parse things out and and without just throwing a Rothbard book in their face and slowly explain maybe what the progressive era really was and stuff like that. Maybe they could be won over economically as well. But shit, if it's a left libertarian doing it, I don't know. We might need to win them over first. I don't know many left legitimate... I don't hang out with any what I would call left libertarian, so I can't really put my finger on what that would be uh, as far as their belief system goes. Although I I do believe there are a lot of them that you know they're just Biden voters essentially, but I I couldn't break down their individual parts of their philosophy and where it differs with mine. Sure, I think one thing that they that they do bring to the table too is a, a skepticism of artificial hierarchy, which we talked about earlier. Um, and by artificial hierarchy, I just mean 
like cronyism and everything from cronyism to office politics where the good old boys get promoted and the individual contributors who are actually doing yes. the grunt work um, are, are, are stepped upon. Um, That's so, a very good point. So yeah, so a skepticism of artificial hierarchy, they also, I've been heavily influenced by left libertarian theories of class, like from Rod- Roderick Long, for instance. Um, he really builds on Hoppe, who Hoppe was just building on yeah. Marx. Right. Um, and Papa was uh, an, an ex Marxist. Yeah, exactly. Um, and Long is not an, he's not a Marxist, but he's definitely a leftist and he's, he's pretty woke too. Like he, you know, he, every other Facebook post is about some transphobic or racist thing that someone said, uh, but, okay. but he has, he has good academic stuff to, to offer. And then the third thing, and this is, um, Michael Rechtenwald has been super influential on the right end of the libertarian spectrum, but this is something that left libertarians have been saying for a long time is that, uh, you know, big business is not necessarily private. Correct. Yes. And I, I, this was, this is the, this is the accomplishment of the, of the year for me. Um, I was able to get in the libertarian party of Minnesota, a platform plank passed this year at our, at our convention, Robert's rules again, uh, saying that, you know, we cannot allow these companies such as Google. I mean, Google and Facebook are as private as Lockheed Martin and yes. it's as private as Bank of America. All of these things that are so intertwined with the state have become subsidiaries of the state if they ever weren't subsidiaries of the state. Um, mm-hmm. And that is something that I think that we as the sort of populist, populist wing of the libertarian movement, I see it's me hesitating to say the right, the right end of the libertarian movement um, have kind of come to realize, whereas the the centrist or you know, just the Sarwark Sarwark type people um, mm-hmm. would still say, no, 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 they're a private company; they can do whatever they want, bro. Yeah, uh, cool. So I think that's probably a good place to leave it. You're you're going out to the honky tonk tonight, and uh, I want to go wet my whistle. So why don't you tell people where they can find you, and we'll get going. They can find me. The website is finally all done and we will have shirts up very soon. Nice. It's got every social media thing you can find me on. It's got all of those links and it's got every episode of my show, I believe ever. Counterflowpodcast.com. That's the easiest way to find everything. But it's, it's got Twitter, which is at Buck Rebel, B-U-C-K-R-E-B-E-L. Anyway, yeah, it's got everything. It's got Instagram, Facebook, the t-shirts will be up there soon. Designed by my man, Neocon Remover, who we all miss dearly on Twitter. He designed oh, the Counterflow out. podcast art, artwork and, and the new t-shirts we got coming out as well. And uh, yeah, like we mentioned at the top, I advise everyone to come to my house in October for Renegade University Live. I'll make sure to link to that as well. I like the artwork, by the way. It's it's kind of mid-century modern, which is my favorite aesthetic. Yes, my, me too. You, well, you're you're gonna like my house then. Yeah, I can't wait, man. Uh, and I can't wait till you, audience member, um, meet us all there for honky tonks and karaoke's and barbecues, and especially speeches from Scott Horton and Hotep Jesus and the great Deirdre McCloskey, um, who is. You know, I'm she, she. Deirdre McCloskey is one of the very few transgender people who people on the right will refer to by her preferred pronoun, which I don't understand. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, and a whole bunch of other people. Check the link. Uh, I'll post it in the show notes. Buck, thank you so much, and I will see you in October at your place. Thank you, James. 
Thanks again to Buck for joining me today. And as always, thank you for tuning in. If you haven't already, make sure that you are subscribed to receive every episode that I record and article that I write by entering your email address in the subscribe box at blackbird.substack.com. It doesn't cost you a cent. However, if you would like to contribute to the show, there is also a paid option, which will get you bonus content, premium articles, and special episodes as they are released. Don't forget to sign up for the Renegade University weekend down in Austin, Texas, coming up this October. You aren't going to want to miss it. It features such speakers as Scott Horton, Hotep Jesus, Deirdre McCloskey, Cody Wilson, and Jack the Perfume Nationalist. In addition to that, we're going to be eating all kinds of good barbecue, drinking all kinds of good drinks, and who knows what else. And with that, well, that's it. I will see you on the next episode of Blackbird, and until then, live free. (laughs) 